I'm sorry that I cannot respond to God's word as you were respond, responding right now in praise. Um, I do not know some of these hymns, but I, I respond in smiling as I, as I, I, I read the words and, and see the richness of, of these words. Let us consider uh, again uh, God's word as we did this morning and we'll be we advanced a little bit if you picked it up um, we, we left it at verse 11 in Galatians 4 now we've moved to verse 21 as a small section that I skipped but I would encourage you to read it again it will show you um, the, um, the emotion with which Paul writes this letter and again, that Paul is not indifferent to what's happening in Galatia. He's, he's very moved and he's very, um, uh, he, again, he's, he's a spiritual father seeing his children go astray. Um, and he, he, he's eager to show them the right way. So uh, be, uh, be warned by, by, and, and be comforted, comforted as well by the love that Paul shows here to the Galatians. But now we'll cons consider this section from verse 21 uh, and to 5.1, which, which Pastor Fabio read. And let me start with a question again. I, it is a question, uh, this one, which is borrowed from uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. And it is the first question of this catechism. What is our only comfort in life and in death? What is our only comfort in life and in death, in a more recent adaptation, what is our only hope in life and in death? And the answer to this question, the first question of the catechism, or more, um, or better put, the first part of the answer actually, is that our only comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And why is it vital for this to be clear right at the beginning? Why is this the first question of the catechism? Why did someone think that this was the first thing that anyone who comes to faith in Jesus has to, to have absolutely clear in his mind, his or her mind? Why is this the first question? What is our only hope in life and death, or what is our only comfort in life and death, is that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We talked a bit about the false teachers in the morning, and the false teachers in Galatia. What happened here? Paul preached the gospel in Galatia, the same, same old gospel, salvation by God's grace, through faith in Jesus. But some arrived then, after Paul, and said, well, okay, sure, Jesus. Jesus is a, was a good man. Jesus maybe even be the Messiah. But there's something missing. Again, people are not happy just hearing about faith in Jesus. Because we want to build up to God, as I was saying this morning. Faith is not enough. Faith is the great equalizer. When 
When, when, if, if only faith is needed to come to Jesus, then we are all the same. And everyone in this room is the same. And that's why we don't like faith. Because we want to be different. We want to be separate. We want to be closer to God. And that's why we want to add things to faith. Supplements to faith. And that's when religion of works happens. That's when supplements happen. And that's when we create, and we're always at risk of doing this, that's when we create a culture of, of pseudo-purity. We are so pure, we are so chaste. So a religious breed. And we become slaves of religion. And when Paul writes this letter, he calls this religiosity, this, this slave religion, as we saw this morning, paganism. The building blocks of human religions for centuries. That is not a true gospel. That is not true Christianity. And Paul will say here in the passage we read today, or, or read now, the thing that annoys religious people the most. Nothing annoys more religious people the most than hearing heaven has more people than you think. Heaven has more people than you think. And we'll look at Paul's argument here in which he will demonstrate to the Galatians what is this religiosity. It, is, it has a defective knowledge, desperate future, and a distrustful present. This religiosity is defective, desperate and distrustful and we'll see that in three points so first point religiosity is defective it has a defective knowledge it is ignorant it doesn't truly know God slave religion doesn't truly know God look at verse 21 tell me you who desire to be under the law do not hear the law are you ignorant? Do you not even know what you are claiming to know? You think you know God's law, but you are wrong. That's what Paul is saying to them. And, and, and Apostle Paul will appeal to a story that is very familiar to them. And it's always handy when the passage already has an illustration. The preacher has less work. And, and of course... The illustration of the apostle of Apostle Paul would be always better than the one I, I could come up with. But Paul is giving them an example that they know, the story of Abraham. What does he say? Abraham was 75 when God called him. That's what Paul is bringing to their minds. He wants them to, to, to face these lines that he's writing them with the story of Abraham in, the, in their minds. So Paul is recalling that to them. God called Abraham when he was 75 years old. He made him a promise as we read. I will make of you a great nation. Actually, that specific promise is a bit before. But I will make of you a great nation. That's what God said to Abraham. But Abraham said, God, how will you do that? I am old. I didn't have any children before. I am 75 years old. And my, and my wife? She didn't have any children when she was young. Will she have children now when she is old? That doesn't make any sense. 
God says, and this we read, well, look at the stars in the sky. Count them if you can, number them. As such shall be your descendants. It doesn't make any sense, but I will do this. And Abraham believed. So says scripture. Abraham had faith. But then one year goes by. Two years, three years, four years. Ten years go by and nothing has happened. Abraham is now 86 years old. And the sun hasn't come yet. And they start to think. They start to think, well, of course God didn't mean that. Of course God didn't mean that we, old people, would bear children. Let's give him a little help. And that's what Sarah comes to Abraham to say. Here's my, my bondwoman or my slave woman, my servant. She's young. She can bear children. That makes sense. Have a son with her. We'll adopt him. And th- so God's promise will be fulfilled. Because he will be your son and your descendants will come to him. And so they do. But that was not the son of promise. That was the son of probability. That was the son that made absolute sense. That was the son of some God that needs help. That was not the son of promise. Because 14 years later, when Abraham was 100 years old, Sarah was 90, 90 years old, against all odds, against all probabilities, does it make any sense? Abraham had the son of promise, the son of faith. And this is Paul's argument here. Do you not see that the God of that slave religion, the God of religiosity, does not exist? God has never worked like they say God works. God never needed our help to keep his promises. That never happened. Do you think, and and this is Paul reasoning with them here, do you think, stop for a bit and think, do you think that the God that made a 90-year-old woman give birth to a son needs us for anything? Needs our help to fulfill his promises? Does that make any sense? You only have to believe, have faith like Abraham. Five one, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Christ has made you free. You are not sons of the slave woman. You are sons. You are not sons of probability. You are sons of promise. So don't go back to slavery. It it it, um, it echoes Paul's argument in in, in chapter three. You started with the spirit. Do you want to keep going with the flesh? That doesn't make any sense. That God doesn't exist. Don't think again that you must appease God with offerings, obedience. Don't touch this, don't go there. Because the true God, and as we saw this morning, the true God sent his son for remission of sins. It's done. You cannot build up to God God sent his son. You cannot, and Paul makes this argument to the Romans as well, you cannot bring Christ from the dead. God raised him from the dead. 
So don't go back to slavery. But the thing is, we kind of like slavery. Because trusting in God is harder than it sounds. Having faith may be harder than it sounds. We don't like faith. We like to be in control. That's why there are so many people frustrated when they finish university. Because someone told them that, okay, so how do, how, how do I win at life? How do I get a good job? Well, you go and you study. Then you go to university, you study a bit more, and then you get a good job. And some people leave universities and they can't get a good job. And they think, I did what they said to me, that, that I should do. I, 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 it, the logic is all there. Why can't I get a good job? Because we like things that, that progress in, 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 in a way that we can understand. We like to be in control. Okay, what, what do I have to do? This, I do it. Well, where's the result? But God doesn't work like that. Trusting in God leaves us out, leaves us, or teaches us that we are not in control. So Paul will give them an incentive. You may be persuaded by, by those ignorance that are distorting the gospel. But if you think for one second that they are not ignorant, now look at this, and this is my second point. They are not only defective in their knowledge, they are desperate. Don't go with them because they are desperate. They have no future. They have no hope. This is my second point. Religiosity is desperate. It doesn't have an inheritance. Christianity leads somewhere. Religiosity doesn't. Or at least it doesn't lead anywhere good. Not what the Apostle Paul says in verse 30. And we are moving, we are moving from, from the, the extremities of a text to our center in verse 27. But bear with me. Christianity leads somewhere. But now look, look what Paul says in verse 30. Nevertheless, what does Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. The son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And it's, again, it's good to remember that these false teachers, they spoke about Jesus. Those who were poisoning the ears of the Galatians, they spoke about Jesus. They believed in Jesus somehow. And again, we must be warned. Speaking about Jesus doesn't mean that we are preaching the true, the true gospel. Paul's message was that you may speak of Jesus, but if, but if salvation doesn't come exclusively, by God's grace, through faith, then you are lost. William Hendrickson, in, in, memorize this. Put this in your mind. Plant it very deep. William Hendrickson says that a Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. A Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. You add anything to the gospel, you destroy the gospel immediately. And again we think, yes, there are many false religions speaking of Jesus. But what about us? 
What supplements do we have? What do we say? What is our gospel? Is it a true gospel? Or is it a slave gospel? Is it a gospel that brings out freedom? Sons of free, of the free woman, or a gospel that enslaves? And someone could argue, well, but Colossians, Paul writes to the Colossians, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. We have to walk in a worthy manner of the Lord. And I say, Amen. That's absolutely true. But keep on reading. Because that's verse 10. And Paul in verse 12 writes, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, made you worthy to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So it's not a chicken and egg situation. God made you worthy of the inheritance of the saints in light. The rest comes after. God makes you worthy. God qualifies you to share in the inheritance. Picture a royal party. In a royal party, there's a, someone at the door and there comes a, a duke. And he, and he comes at the door and he says to the doorman, I'm here for the party. And the doorman says, well, you're not on the list. And he says, well, don't you know who I am? I am son of this. This is my father. I'm the grandson of that one. Don't you know what my family has done for this country? But what can the doorman say? You're not on the list. Let me give you another one. Perhaps we can empathize with this one a little bit better. Someone who has been in the military and he comes to this same party and he says to the doorman, well, I'm here for the party. And the doorman says, well, you're not on the list. And he says, not on the list. I've served for, I've served for 30 years. Is my service of no value? Why can't I get in? You're dishonoring me. You're dishonoring my service. But again, what can the doorman say? You're not on the list. And these represent the two ways in which humans try to achieve things, which is work and relations, lineage and labor. But God doesn't work like that. The only way to get in this party See, if someone comes at the door and the doorman asks, Why, what are you doing the, here? And he says, I'm, I'm coming for the party. Why are you here? And the only possible answer is to say, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. But the queen invited me. That's why I'm here. Let me borrow. Perhaps some of you know this. In Portugal, uh, most people... Would, would recognize this, but I, I, I'm not sure um, it's, it's as popular here. We re remember, we are a Roman Catholic country. There's a, a picture of St. Peter holding the keys of, of the gates of heaven and keeping people in, uh, out or letting people in. So I'm borrowing this picture just for a second. If by, by any chance, and I'm not saying it is, but if by any chance... It's something like that. And you get to the gates of heaven. And someone asks you, 
Why are you here? The only possible answer is I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. I could give you a list of reasons why I shouldn't be here. But, and, and here's some Calvin for you. The blood of Jesus obliterates sin. That's why I'm here. The blood of Jesus obliterates sin. It breaks it wide open. Doesn't matter anymore. And that's why I'm here. I shouldn't be here, but I am. And I love, and a bit of Calvin again, I love how he's talking about progress, about Christian progress in life. And we should progress. We should grow in love. We should grow in grace. We should grow in our love for God and, and our love for one another. That's true. But, and he says this, even those who had made little progress, they would be, and mind this word, undeservingly rejected. Undeservingly rejected. Even those who made little progress, they would be undeservingly rejected. And why? Because God is not in the business of measuring progress. God is in the business of saving sinners. But what this causes frequently is jealousy, is persecution, as you see in verse 29. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Paul remembers us here that those who are slaves of this religiosity, those who belong to this slave religion, they are never happy. They are never comfortable with sharing the inheritance. They are never comfortable with those who are free. Those who are in bondage, they are never comfortable with those who are free. And so they persecute. They are jealous. A mark of religiosity is that you are unwilling to share the inheritance. That means to my third point. Religiosity is distrustful. It is suspicious. It doesn't want freedom to come so easily. At the center of this passage is a poem that Paul is, Paul is borrowing from Isaiah or quoting from Isaiah. I'll, I'll read it again because it's indeed uh, beautiful. Verse 27. This is a poem of Isaiah that Paul is quoting here. Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Isaiah is, 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 is uh, taking the picture of Abraham and Sarah and showing that picture and applying that picture to the people of God who were in exile. God's people were defeated. They were driven out of their country. They were destroyed. But what does God say? In that poem. They are, they are destroyed. They are defeated. But what does God say? Rejoice. They are, they are lamenting. By the rivers of Babylon. How shall we sing the Lord's song. When we are in a strange land. But God says. Sing. 
rejoice. Because the desolate land that you, are, that you are seeing, the desolate Jerusalem, you will go back there. Isaiah is speaking of the abundant feeling of heaven. And the people who were in exile, they say, how? How will you do this, God? We are defeated. We are in captivity. We have no army. How will we go back? Just as Abraham did. These are the same questions of Abraham. And that's why Isaiah is putting the two pictures together. And that's why Paul again is putting the two pictures together. Because these are the same questions. How will you do this? It doesn't make sense. Just as Abraham did. It doesn't make sense that a 90-year-old woman gives birth to a son. But what God says is, don't you know me? Don't you know what I'm capable of? This is what Paul is, trans- it's, is communicating to, to his readers. Don't you know God's power by now? Those who in fact understand God's law, which slave religion doesn't. Those who know the character of God, which slave religion doesn't. They look at these promises of God, the promises that God made, and say, I was not a a probable citizen of heaven, but I'm going to be there. I should not be there. It doesn't make any sense, but I will. But religiosity, slave religion, is suspicious, is distrustful. They don't like things so easy. They say, how is it like this? Is that so easy? It's only faith. Then what what have I been doing for the last 20 or 30 years? All those things I've given up. Was faith the only thing I had to do? They don't like the prodigal son. He went too far. They don't like the thief at the cross. They say, well, the thief at the cross had it easy. It's easy just to be converted just before you die. The hard part is living the Christian life. They don't understand. Slaves of religion, they don't understand. They don't understand faith. But this is our God. The God of the prodigal son. The God of the thief at the cross. The God of the the improbable ones. The God of the unlikely ones. The God that wants to fill the banquet. The God that is not happy to have a, a half full table. Because when the table is not full, he goes out and he gets the lame And he gets the blind. And he says, put more chairs at the table. Let's fill the table. Enlarge the tent. As Isaiah says, there's more people coming. Build more rooms. Put more chairs at the table. It doesn't make sense, but I will fill this table. I will fill this house. I will fill this land. I will fill heaven. That's what God is doing. 
But it's itches in the ears of slaves of religion. They don't like to hear this. Heaven has more people than they think because God's grace is bigger than they think. I love the end of, of the poem of Isaiah in chapter 54, which is what Paul is quoting here. And he says, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. I will do this. This is what I will do. I will fill heaven. Remember what Jesus said with the rich young, young ruler. There's this, this man who comes to Jesus. And he says, I have kept the law. I have, I have done everything right. What do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, sell everything you have. You'll have a treasure in heaven. Follow me. But he went away sorrowful because he was very rich. But then the reaction of the disciples is appropriate. They say, Jesus, they are astonished by this. They think, aren't you being, aren't you asking a little too much that he would give up everything, Jesus? And they ask, who then can be saved? If, if this is what you ask, Jesus, who then can be saved? And, and then Jesus looks at them. You get the point. That's exactly the point. Who then can be saved? To man, it is impossible. That's, that is exactly what Jesus says. You got it. To man, it is impossible. That's the right question. Who then can be saved? To man, it is impossible. But to God, all things are possible. And for us today, it's the same question and the same answer of Jesus. And the difference is in how we react to that answer. What do we think of that answer? When Jesus says, it is impossible to man, well, how do we react to that? Do we need something more? Do we need to prove that we can do it? Do we need to prove that we are better than those around us? Do we need to prove that we are better sons? Do we need to prove that we are better citizens? better husband, better wives. Or are we happy with the answer of Jesus because we know we cannot do it? We are glad that Jesus says, yes, it is impossible to man indeed, and you know it, but to God it is possible. God is filling heaven. Are we like this? Are we happy, Re just rejoicing with the answer that Jesus gives? Or are we suspicious? Are we distrustful and desperate and defective in our knowledge of God? Or are we in fact true Christians with true faith, true hope and true knowledge of God?
I've come to the conclusion. Why is it vital to remember that we are not our own? Because there are not two Gospels. There are not two gods. But there are two ways to live. And there are two eternal destinies. So either we belong to ourselves and we are lost or we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, and His blood obliterates our sins. If you're not a Christian, believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe in the finished work. You cannot add to it. If you want to add to it, you will destroy it. You will destroy the gospel. Believe it is done. He paid for your sins. Have faith like Abraham. Believe. It's that easy. Religious people don't like this to hear this, but it's that easy. Have faith. The rest comes later. Don't wait to be perfect to come to God. If you're waiting to be perfect to come to God, you will never come. And, and if by any chance you, you, you realize that, okay, now I am perfect to come to God. Oh, you are wrong. And you are lost. You will, be, you will be high and mighty, all pure and all chaste, but you will be lost. And if you are one of those religious people, take that load off yourself. It is too heavy. That's not the load of Christ, because that one is light. And stop putting it on people who come to the church. Accept the freedom that Christ offers and celebrate with your brothers and sisters. Christianity is a religion of party. It's a faith of party, of celebration. That's what we are always doing. We are celebrating. When we come to the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating. We are anticipating the party in heaven. So celebrate with your brothers. Because you are sons of the free woman, not of the slave. So celebrate your freedom. And do that in anticipation of the ultimate party in heaven, which has more people than there are stars in the sky. Believe this. Rejoice in this. Let us pray. Lord, again, we have nothing to offer you. But we trust in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We trust that his sacrifice was enough pay for our sins, to atone for our sins, and that we can now enjoy the freedom that he bought. We 
and we are not in bondage to the religions of the world. We are not in bondage to want to or to build up to you in our human ways and inevitably fail. But we can enjoy the freedom that is in Christ. Let us accept that with with vitality, with eagerness, with true joy, and celebrate because we were not probable citizens of heaven. We can, and you know our lives, you know we are not. We know how, you know how we were, you know how we still are so often. But even in our little or big progress, our only hope is that we belong to Christ. We belong to our faithful Savior. Let us embrace this truth. Let us preach this truth to everyone around us. Preach the joy that is the freedom in Christ. This is something so big, so revolutionary. Everyone who doesn't have this, they need this badly. They don't know it, but they do. Let us be bold in witnessing. Let us love those who are lost and preach them this freedom. And let us celebrate with our brothers and sisters as we are here anticipating the great celebration in heaven more people than there are stars in the sky we praise you for the amazing work of salvation that you that you are doing the abundant filling of heaven and we thank you that we are part of that Keep us. We cannot keep our faith. You know us. We cannot do it. We need you even to keep our faith. But we trust in you. Our hope is solely in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.